Hello, and welcome to the River's Edge Church Podcast, Extra Conversations with Pastor Dave. We're excited to share another episode with you today. And now, here's Pastor Dave. Hi, welcome back to another Extra Conversation. This is Pastor Dave. I am sitting here with one of my favorite people in the world, and that is my wife, Desiree. Hi, sweetie. Hello, good to be here. Good good to have you here in my office, which I guess you're here all the time, but I, uh, yeah. good to be here on the podcast, the Absolutely. proverbial here. And we want to have an extra conversation about the message that I preached this last Sunday, where I talked about spiritual warfare and its origins. And we were just talking before we hit record on this podcast that we both feel like a little bit of an imposter syndrome yeah. talking about this topic. Why did you say that? Well, I feel like unqualified and there's so much information out there and I feel like I just know the tip of yeah. the iceberg. Also, you know, we just thought we'd give you some resources right off the bat. This conversation has been had before a billion times on podcasts. Oh my gosh, by very qualified people. By very qualified people, it's been had. And so we uh, thought we'd give you some resources as you go try and figure this out for yourself if that's something that you're interested in. So before we go to the podcast resources, the first thing I would tell you is that um, on Sunday, what I preached about is not an original thought. It's not an originating thought with me. I did not figure this all out. This is the culmination of much research, but uh, really the compiler of all this research is a guy who passed away last year. His name is Dr. Michael Heiser, wrote a book called The Unseen Realm, another book called Demons, another book called Reversing Hermon, and he's got a podcast called The Naked Bible, which is so fun. It's such a great podcast, especially if you're a little bit nerdy. That podcast is for you. It's a great podcast. Absolutely. Well, if you're going to start listening to it, I suggest starting with the Q&As. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. in the beginning. Yeah. The and beginning. then another one, actually what got me reading Heiser was I also love the Bible Project. Those guys are incredible. And they did a series on God that rocked my world. I was like, this is insane. I, I can't believe all this. And then they had Heiser on as a uh, resource. And so then I went and bought all of his books and started reading them. And I was even telling my wife in the car on the way over here, I don't think that was uh, a number of years ago. And I still didn't think at that time I got it. I didn't really, I couldn't articulate it. So I never even preached on it because I could not physically wrap my brain around it. Well, there's just so much. There is so much. So, of course, what we're talking about, what we're referring to, especially if you were not there on Sunday, did not listen, we'd suggest going back and listen to last Sunday's message. But if you were not there, then we talked about this whole idea of spiritual warfare, but it kind of started with this divine counsel worldview. But you know what? We, we actually have some notes. We wanna, we've got an orderly way of going through this. Thank so God, yeah. Why don't we... Why, <laughs> thank God, that's right. <laughs> so why don't you lead me through this? Well, I think the best place to start is why. Like, why did you preach this sermon leading into a series on Revelation? Yeah, we're starting a series on Revelation this coming Sunday. And the reason why... You know, this was on my heart to speak about was because as you begin getting into Revelation, especially chapters four and five, you get this great heavenly scene. 
and they say like look a scroll behold there's this scroll and it's sealed up it's got seven seals and nobody you know john the the evangelist weeps because we can't find anyone worthy to open the scrolls and you know all of a sudden he hears a voice and he turns and he looks and he sees this lamb and the lamb is worthy and the lamb looks as if he's been slain he's got seven eyes seven horns it means all wisdom all power and that lamb is Jesus, and he is worthy to open the scroll. Well, what is the scroll? The scroll is the totality of human history. It is God's program or plan for earth, if you will. And just as the, the whole rest of the book is Jesus opening the scroll, and he doesn't even really open it until the end. It's just popping the seals. And as he pops these seals... Um, with each seal, there is this tremendous outbreak and flurry of activity. Mm -hmm. And what it shows is that there's really two kingdoms. There's this human realm which we live and experience today and which God animates um, the life of those who follow him. And then there's the realm that is unseen. And I think too much in church, we don't talk about that unseen realm. And so that's what I talked about this last Sunday. And I think going into the book of Revelation, having this idea that there really is two kingdoms at play. There really is this unseen realm that every now and then, and I use examples, become seen every now and then. Uh, one of the examples I used was all this Hollywood uh, shows that, that show off Satan. There was that one Sam Smith Grammy performance where he kind of did this whole seance deal and and all of that. And CBS replies, "Oh, we're ready to worship." It's like these realms are are just sort of like coming in hot, and they're just coming in, and, and we're seeing them. And um, but really, there's a lot happening behind the scenes. There's a there's a huge origin story there, and that I wanted everybody to get to, so that when we got to the Book of Revelation. It wouldn't be totally wild to talk about. <laughs> right. I figure we get the wild out of the way now. Get the wild out of the way. Or right. at least like start, start on, what's, what do I want to say? Like the, start the conversation, conversation about yeah, the wild. for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Well, I think we should start in Genesis 6. No, okay. let's start in Genesis 3. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Why don't you start? Uh, well, of course, what happens in Genesis 3 um, really, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, right. God makes humanity uh, in his image. Um, and uh, we are supposed to image God. That is our, that is our job in, uh, in creation. Oh, yeah. Image God and rule over creation. And rule over creation. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's our job. And right there, God shows a part of his character that is really important. Does God need us to rule over creation? Well, no, of course. No, of yeah. course not. He, you know, he, he could think it and it'll be done, you know. But he chooses us to rule over creation. He chooses to delegate his power and authority to us. And we'll see this in Scripture over and over and over again. This is the way that God is. It's a democratizing God, is Yahweh, right? Because he chooses to, instead of taking all power on himself, which he definitely has, he chooses to allow people to operate in it. 
And so he makes humans to rule over creation. And uh, what happens is there's this serpent in the garden that ends up ruling over the people. And humans uh, decide what is good and evil on their own. And because of that, something that was not in the garden enters the world. And that is death. Death. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sin and death. Yeah. They go hand in hand. Sin and death enter the world. Yes. So that's what happens in the garden. And all humanity as a result is sinful. Yeah. So that would be like the fall of man. Yes. Okay. And so then moving forward, we have Genesis 6, which would be the fall of the spiritual realm. So why don't we talk about that? Yeah. And so let me just read that. It's only four verses. And again, one of the things that we talked about on Sunday is that because things are odd in the Bible, oftentimes we have this sort of like mental trick where in our minds when we go, oh, that's just too odd. That's just too peripheral to matter. Like it just is weird. So let's just... Or go. confusing too, and, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm. I don't know what that means. So I'm just going to keep reading. And I don't think that's people's fault. It is genuinely confusing. So here's Genesis 6, 1 through 4. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, our, this is showing us a spiritual rebellion. And of course, you do need a little bit more information. Um, you, you do see it in here, but it helps to have this filled out a little bit more by other texts. But le- here's where you see it. Sons of God, right? Who is who's a son of man? Well, humans are all sons of man, yeah. right? Um, and, and Jesus was the son of man, and we could talk about that in another podcast. Why there's a distinction between the two, but humanity in general is is sons of man, and God's children are sons of God. So God's who, who the those who uh, are spiritual beings, right here, sons of uh, God, uh, they rebelled and they came into they went out of their realm of the spiritual realm and came into the human realm they saw women who they thought were pretty i guess and they decided to have beautiful (laughs) beautiful they decided to have babies with them so can we identify can we give some names to these things like for example the sons of god like you talked in on sunday about the word elohim Mm -hmm. okay and elohim means spiritual being correct and so we have and then in Elohim, there's a lot of categories, right? You've got like angels and watchers, and we're not going to go into all that. But Elohim is just the word used for spiritual being. Like God is the like the prime yeah. Elohim, right? He's the Elohim above Elohim. He's the Elohim mm-hmm. of Elohims. And mm-hmm. I, I think what's really important to um, to just get slightly technical with you for a second is that Elohim could both be used as a singular and a uh, plural. plural word. Mm-hmm. It's like the word sheep in English. So in English, you would say, um, hey, I have a lost sheep, and you know that there's one missing. 
right? Um, or you could say, um, I need to go corral my sheep. It, then the way you said it, it helps you understand there's multiple of them. Yeah. And so it's both singular and plural. Um, so in the Ten Commandments, when he says, I am the Lord your God, that's singular. Do not have any other gods uh, ahead of me. Um, the way it's signaled in the text and used in the text, that's plural. And so it, there is a little bit of like technical, it's not just as simple as like, oh, it means spiritual being. There's there's a lot of technicalities in the way that you use Hebrew and, and stuff like that. So I'm just... But, but, but for the sake of this, yeah. I would say, we can say like the Elohim, the spiritual being. The, right. So the sons of God would be spiritual beings, Elohim. Yes. Okay. So... The Elohim, the spiritual beings, came down, mm-hmm. married, and had children with the daughters of men. Yes. Okay? And then they created these, Nef- these superhumans. Yep. Okay, right? What does it say? Uh, heroes of old, men of renown. Okay? Yes. So then they created these superhumans, and these superhumans are part spiritual being, mm-hmm. part human being. Mm-hmm. And that is what a Nephilim is. Yeah. And one of the things that I mentioned even on Sunday is, and I know this gets kind of wild because in our 21st century American eyes, it's just uh, everything is so material and natural and not like supernatural. But when these Bronze Age people talked about other gods, that wasn't just a... uh, a theoretical state that wasn't like oh somebody made an idol this this was like they're, they're talking about this origin story these nephilim they oh you you skipped some steps okay i'm sorry it's okay i mean but for the sake of like the conversation right yeah so the the nephilim which is what we just read about in chapter six are these these offspring mm-hmm. of of elohim and humans Right. Okay. And then what would like the first century or the Bronze Age mind consider demons to be? Okay. Yeah. And it's definitely, you know, it's so funny when I read this, I was like, no, this can't be right. No, this is so weird. There's no way. But then when you look at the Second Temple resources, Enoch, Jubilees, all them, the first century people would have seen an impure spirit as the disembodied spirit of a dead Nephilim. Right. So what we call demons today, or what even they would call demons back in the days of old, Mm -hmm. would be disembodied, dead Nephilim, who because they are part Elohim, Mm -hmm. okay, part spiritual being, live on forever, but their bodies have died, hence they're disembodied. Yes. So a demon is dead heroes of old. Yeah, and and so let me just read you a, just a very small uh, passage from Enoch chapter 15, 1 Enoch 15. And now the giants who are produced from the spirits and flesh shall be called evil spirits upon the earth. And the spirits of the giants 
afflict, oppress, destroy, attack, do battle, and work destruction on the earth, and cause trouble. They take no food, but nevertheless hunger and thirst, and cause offenses. And these spirits shall rise up against the children of men, and against the women, because they have proceeded from them. So, essentially, these impure spirits, the first century understanding in the book of Enoch, Mm -hmm. and the reason why I say this, and, and again, Enoch's not the Bible, but the reason why we bring it up is because biblical authors mention Enoch multiple times, especially in, in the New Testament. And so it was their understanding, they were coming from this understanding that Enoch is reliable, at least, as uh, the way at least they understood the world to work. And so, yeah, essentially... these first century people who were writing about these impure spirits that were afflicting Jesus and all that, they they knew who they were. They were like, these are the spirits of the dead Nephilim. Now, to get a little bit technical here, there was the original rebels that rebelled against God, and they are locked away in prison. So the original rebels, to clarify, are the... Elohim that the the sons of God yes. that had that took, rebelled. took wives from the daughters of men. So that the first century mind believed that those original rebellious Elohim are bound in hell. Yes. And then their offspring, the Nephilim, are roaming as the the demons that we uh, see in the Bible and people experience even now yes and i and i think it's also important as well to note that what we talked about in the car human because of the first rebellion the human rebellion genesis 3 humanity Mm -hmm. has a sin nature yeah and because of this rebellion it's not that these evil and impure spirits cause people to sin they influence sin right Right. So they can't make you sin. No. You can't just be like, oh, the, nah, you know, not that the devil made me do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not that easy. It's No, you choose sin. You have your own yeah. agency and free will. Yeah. They can influence it. You know, like I, I think one of the major areas of influence, and, um, you know, I get attacked by the mob of, of people uh, who disagree with me for saying this, is pornography. And the reason mm-hmm. why I say that is because people have taken pornography now and said, oh, no, this is, this is just sexual freedom. This is just what it looks like to be free. But I, I really see evil behind all of that. And um, it really is oppressing people, and including the sex workers. It is oppressing them um, rather than giving them freedom. And uh, it's oppressing. There's many people... Uh, stuck in the bondages of sexual sin, and it's all due to pornography. So I think that's an influence that is, uh, or that's an industry that is influenced by darkness. Well, I mean, so yes, yes, thank you. That is true. This original, like fall in in Genesis six, I'm talking about now. I'm talking about the fall of the spiritual realm has implication on implications on the earth immediately because. Okay, well, not immediately, but in Genesis 6, it's talking about the wickedness of the world. The Elohim are mentioned. We know that there is corruption and evil and wickedness in the earth. Mm -hmm. And so then the flood happens and destruction. It's like God is saying, I will will not contend with these 
with ease forever. I mean, that's literally what he says. That phrase, I will not contend with men forever, that phrase that's found in Genesis is also found in the book of Jubilees and it's also mm-hmm. found in the book of Enoch. Right. And this is why biblical author or biblical scholars look at all this stuff right. because so many biblical phrases are shared. Yeah. And there's this flurry of writing of, of um, I would say, uh, biblical adjacent texts that are out there that are not just the Bible. Now, to be sure, our church, one of the highest values is scripture. And so that's why I always say, like, if I'm going to use another one of these texts, I'm telling you, this is to help us understand the mindset of the people of the day. This is not the Bible. You should not treat it as the Bible. You should just treat this as context. And that's the reason why I always say that, because I do want you to know, we don't view this as scripture. Of course. Yeah. Of course. All right. Well, what's next? Well, okay. So we have discovered the human fall. Human fall. Okay. We've talked about spiritual fall. Spiritual fall. Spiritual fall. Uh, What demons are. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, So one thing. That's the origins of spiritual warfare right there. I mean, we can get into that later, but that's really the origins of spiritual warfare. The fall of the spiritual realm? Yeah. Yeah, and the this idea of... Uh, Why don't we break that down? Okay. Okay. So what does that mean? So the reason why I say it's the origins of spiritual warfare is because these... Uh, let me let me pull up a text, and I've read it on this podcast before. First uh, Enoch 6, and this is the understanding, again, of those who were living in the first century, second temple time. And it came to pass that the children of men had multiplied in those days and were born unto them beautiful and comely daughters. And the angels and the children of heaven saw and lusted after them and said to one another, Come, let us choose wives from among the children of men and and beget us children. And Semajaza, who was their leader, said to them, I fear ye will not indeed agree to do this deed, and I alone shall have to pay the penalty of a great sin. So they knew what they were doing. And they all answered him and said, Let us swear an oath and all bind ourselves to, by mutual implications not to abandon this plan, but to do this thing. Then swear all they, all together, and they bound themselves by mutual implications upon it. And they all were all, I'm sorry, and they were in all 200 who descended in the days of Jared on the summit of Mount Hermon, and they called it Mount Hermon, because they had sworn and bound themselves by mutual implications upon it. And their names and their leaders, and it says all their names and stuff. And essentially, the story just keeps going on and on and on. Because of this rebellion, um, they, it, it's really interesting. Because of this rebellion, they began to take uh, this authority that God had into their own hands. They began to take this rule that they wanted, and they wanted to try and create this group of humans in their own image, mm-hmm. and it's this their own little rebellion against uh, the Lord. So they create all this in their own image, and they're kind of creating their own creation, right, through the Nephilim. And um, and they're essentially afflicting humans after that. Like that is the idea is that they're attacking God's imagers. They have their own imagers in their own kingdom, and God has His own imagers through the garden. 
And the attack is against God's imagers hmm. because they want to be, they want to rule. They want to be in charge. So that's what I mean by I say this is the origins of spiritual warfare. Okay. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, I, I, I have a tendency to take the long way, and I'm sorry. That's okay. That's why you're here. So, well, um, I would have maybe even said, I, I questioned you because I wanted clarification because I guess I, in my head I was thinking Genesis 3 would be the beginning of spiritual warfare because you have this serpentine character oh, entering yeah, the yeah. scene and kind of flipping the design of humanity, right? Like you, man is designed to rule over creation and now you have a created being ruling over Oh, ab- absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I, well, I guess what I just mean is like the origin story of demons is the, oh, that's yeah, what yeah. I was talking about. But yeah, 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 the origins of spiritual warfare as well, for sure. And what's interesting, and I was telling you about this, like if we only had Genesis 1 through 3, you would go, okay, well, that's a different kind of being. No other animal talks that we know about in the garden. And I guess it's just a serpent. But then you have this text in Ezekiel 28 that talks about Satan being a cherubim in the garden, a garden cherubim. And then you have Jesus talking about him as the devil. And so we know who that is in the garden. We know it's Satan. But... um, only through these kind of layers of commentary that the Bible gives us. Yeah, I think when I was a kid, I was taught that all animals in the garden must have spoken. Yeah. For like Eve to not have been completely to, shocked yeah, by to this. Yeah, not like, be weirded out by it. Yeah. Yeah. But then Ezekiel <laughs> talks about how he was like a cherubim that was guarding the gates. Totally. And so, you know, there's this awareness, I think, of... Uh, Eve that she is talking to some sort of spiritual being, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it there was there was in some ways some sort of like community between the divine spiritual realm and the human realm yeah. before the fall of man. Yes. Yeah. So and then again, obviously in Genesis mm-hmm. six. Yeah. When they when they marry him and produce offspring. Yeah, and, and, and the reason why I, I kind of go back to Genesis six as the origins of spiritual warfare is that is um, that is sort of the the entry point of competition by other beings. So yeah, what I yeah. mean is like, you know, there's a, there's this joke in car racing is like, when did car racing start? Have you ever heard this joke? I'm um, gonna guess when there were two cars. Yeah, the second <laughs> the second car. Yeah, the, the minute the second car rolled off yeah. the assembly line, that's when car racing started. And so, like, you've got this human race that's marred by sin for sure. Yeah. But then you've got these um, Elohim now who are made in the image of their their uh, their fallen angels or whatever we want to call them. Their fallen Elohim. And um, you got the Nephilim there, and they're creating this race of people that is against uh, the imagers of God. Yeah. So, so God wipes them out. Yep. Okay. And but then they're still they're still disembodied. Yes. They were still spiritual, and so, so so yeah. So the the original rebels go to prison, and that again is in Jubilees and in Enoch. It's in those Second Temple texts. That they go to prison, but it's also in the book of First uh, and Second Peter. Yes, um, it's not just we don't just get this from Second right. Temple resources. It's from First and Second Peter. It's also in the book of Revelation, mm. and it talks about Satan being bound for a thousand years. It, it, this is really a direct reference to the book of Enoch. Like it's it's pretty direct. It's pretty um, amazing. So uh, 
that's why we could say these are reliable resources that we could look at. And at least shape the mind of the original the writer. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, taking spiritual warfare to the New Testament, you know, Jesus, wh- what is the good news that Jesus comes to bring? It, many people, the reason why I always kind of uh, irk against people saying the good news is that Jesus died and rose again. Well, mm. the, of course that's good news, but that's not what Jesus called the good news. Well, yeah, because he was still alive. Yeah, when Jesus came <laughs> preaching the good, good news, news, what was yeah. he preaching? Mm. Mm. The availability of his kingdom. Yes, wow. repent, because my kingdom is near. My kingdom, it, it's near, it's available to you. So yeah, he is preaching the good news is the availability of his kingdom. And you have to ask the question, as opposed to what other kingdom? Wow, yeah. 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 Well, maybe there's a kingdom of darkness on this world. And he's like, listen, my kingdom is available to you. And the death and resurrection of Jesus is is the door to that kingdom. So it, I don't mean to, to diminish the importance of the death and resurrection. It's huge. It's central. It's vital. But what I'm saying is it's just not the full picture. The full picture is that that gets you into the kingdom of God that because it washes you of your sin nature it washes you of that and sanctifies you and makes you new makes you whole again and so when you um are there standing with jesus (laughs) the resurrected jesus and he says all authority has been given to me go and make more disciples go advance the kingdom go advance the kingdom that is spiritual warfare is and we're reading this one heiser thing um and he was saying you know what is hell scared of what are these demons afraid of what they know their days are numbered their days are in a, yeah it's coming to an end mm-hmm. every day yeah they know that the end of all things is is near it's coming and that they are going to come to an end and the only way that they, they could extend that is by extending their rule and reign for a little bit longer mm-hmm. but through christians spreading the kingdom of god and that good news one person at a time we're taking people away from the kingdom of darkness. So to recap, spiritual warfare is the demonic stopping the advance of the gospel. Yes. That is, and and on our end, spiritual warfare is uh, winning souls over to Christ. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I always got weirded out by spiritual warfare. And whenever somebody talked about spiritual warfare, I always was like, oh, yeah, it's a weird thing. I don't know if I want to talk about it. Because I didn't really understand it, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like my seminary did a great job preparing me with spiritual warfare. Honestly, I felt like it was a Pentecostal thing. Mm-hmm. And not that I've got anything wrong with Pentecostals. I don't have anything against Pentecostals. There, there, I have many, many, many Pentecostal friends. But I thought... Like, do you need to speak in tongues to do spiritual warfare? Like, mm. it just was, it's overwhelming. Yeah. Like is it, there yeah. some jujitsu move you, you know? got to have? Like, how do you do this? You know, and the, to know that the reality of spiritual warfare is to advance the kingdom of God and take people away from the kingdom of darkness and bring them into God's kingdom. That is huge. That's so important. Yeah. And so when uh, darkness, can we just call it darkness? Mm-hmm. When darkness is attacking, or when it is winning somebody away from the kingdom of God, um, that would be spiritual warfare. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, this spiritual warfare is played out in the unseen realm. And here's what I mean by this. We talked about Jesus 
descending into hell and taking the keys. Yeah. And so this all tracks, okay? It all tracks. Mm -hmm. And here's what I mean by this. And this is something I wish I would have talked a little bit more about on Sunday, but hey, this is why we have the podcast. We can talk a little bit more about it today. And that is, um, I stumbled upon, I, I stumbled upon this, I was doing a wedding and the person who asked me to do their wedding, I asked them for any Bible verses they wanted and they said, yeah, I'd love Song of Songs 8-6. And that is, our love is stronger than death. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, that's a sweet phrase, right? <laughs> our love is stronger than death. And so I go to the commentaries because that's where my brain goes. I did this little study of it and I'm like talking about it in their wedding vows. And I do this little study of it and I stumble across, by the way, the, the main man for the Song of Songs is a guy named Marvin Pope. He wrote the Anchor Bible Commentary. Wow. Like, it, it, the Song of Songs is like a teeny tiny book in the Bible. His commentary is 800 pages. It is just intense. And so I was like, I'm going to see what Pope has to say about this. And under the phrase, strong as death, he writes this. It has been suggested that the word Mot, and I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing this right. It's M-O-T, but there's a little, uh, little doodah over the O, so I don't really know what how to say it. Mot, death is here used simply to express superlative love is extremely strong. It appears uh, like you know essentially, yeah, it's just really strong, but it appears more likely that the allusion is to the god Mot. Hmm. Death personified yeah. king of the infernal realm whose power mortals cannot deny or evade. The use of death as equivalent to the superlative may be attested in an algoric letter, which reports, as the hands of the gods um, is here, like death is exceedingly strong. The strength of Mot is once matched by mighty Baal in Ogoric myth, and he goes way into these deep myths and things like this, but as he goes deeper and deeper and deeper, um, he does this entire study on Mott right here, and he says, and I'm going to skip ahead, but even these drastic measures did not spell the end of death, who in turn reappeared to challenge and devour Baal and all this stuff, and so there's uh, in Hosea, uh, it, it talks about the power of death to be broken in the end. So the power of Mot will be broken at the end of all things. And uh, this is Hosea 13, 14. Shall I rescue you from Sheol's grasp, from Mot's, from Mot shall I redeem them? Where are your plagues, O Mot, or O death? Where are your plagues? Hmm. Isaiah 25, 6 through 8. Yahweh of hosts will prepare for all peoples on this mountain, and he will destroy on this mountain the pale the pal that shrouds all people, the veil that covers all Nathans, nations, he will destroy death forever. Um, yeah, First uh, Corinthians 15, 54 through 55, death is swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The point that the author of Song of Songs is trying to make is the only force strong enough to pit against death is love. But Marvin Pope here makes this incredible point that the God of death to the ancient Bronze Age mind and to the the Jewish mind in the first century, it was another God that ruled in the realm of the dead that held the keys 
yeah. to Hades and hell. Hmm. And that was that devoured all these other gods. And so anybody who tried to go up against Mott in all the legends was destroyed. And so now you have Jesus conquering death. It's a spiritual batter. battle. He's conquering Mott in the minds of these first century people. And we just say he died, now he's alive. Yeah. But he is defeating the other gods. He's defeating the other uh, gods. I hate to do this, but we got to take it back a step. Okay. Let's okay. Take so you have, we, we've already discovered that Nephilim are heroes of old, half, okay. half human, half, half spiritual being. Yes. We've discovered that demons are the disembodied dead Nephilim. Sure. So then what are other gods? I mean, they're not demons, okay? They're different things. So what are the other gods? And I think maybe we need to, to rein it in a little and go to Deuteronomy 32. Okay, that's a, that's a good point. So let's pause here. I went a little bit ahead of ourselves. You did, I think. Okay, I'm yeah. sorry. That's I, okay. I do this. I, I'm just thinking if we are discussing like what demons are, well, well, I don't want to get confused. What are the other Elohim? And say, yeah. so are demons gods? Because I don't think that's an accurate representation of what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about other gods. Well, when it's talking about other gods, it's talking about spiritual beings. And yeah. so when we talk about spiritual beings, the 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 term Elohim is used uh, kind of liberally in the Bible. Um, I'm, I'm going to... As we talk, I'm going to go to some biblical texts. Okay. First Samuel 28, Saul and the medium um, of Endor. So there's this story that um, is in the Bible where Saul, the king of Israel, is, puts a prohibition against necromancing. Mm. You know, that sounds fun, right? What is necromancing? It means contacting the dead. And the reason why the Bible puts a uh, <laughs> a prohibition against trying to contact the dead. So, like, if you're going to a medium, just stop. Don't do it. Yeah, yeah no kidding. <laughs> don't go to a palm reader. Don't go to a medium. The reason why the Bible puts a prohibition against it is not because you can't do it. It's not because it's impossible, but it's because you can do it. Yeah. And it's because the power there is, is something that, is not good for you right well, and you don't know what you can unleash right like yeah. you you are uh what's the word you want to say like ushering in a power of which you cannot control correct oh, man so i keep messing up my logos here okay here we go um sorry logos is bible software i'm using so saul goes to this medium at endor and he doesn't know what to do he wants to conjure up samuel samuel was the one who was the seer, the one who was the prophet of Israel, the one who gave God's advice. And so as he goes to the witch at Endor, he says uh, to this woman, I want you to conjure up uh, Saul and, uh, I'm sorry, Samuel. And, and she's like, hey, Saul's put a prohibition against it. And he's like, no, it's cool. Don't even worry about it. And, you know, back they don't have like facial recognition back in those days. And so he says, the woman says to Saul, what do you see? And she says, I see a God coming up out of the earth. Where are you? I am in 1 Samuel 28 verses 12, 13, 14. 
The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, An old man coming up, and he's wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. And I, I love this. I'm just going to read it. it doesn't it? doesn't show any importance to what we're talking about today. And then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I'm in great distress for the Philistines are warring against me. God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or dreams. Therefore, I've summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, why then do you ask me since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he's spoken by me. So basically, Samuel told Saul this would happen. Like you keep up these ways, this is going to happen. And so uh, be faithful to, to God. But anyways, the, the, the chief point I wanted to make here is that this woman says, I see, and then in the Hebrew text it says, I see an Elohim coming up out of the earth, Right? Mm-hmm. And it's used to describe the disembodied spirit of Samuel. So the, that's what I mean by the word. I know what you're asking. You're saying, who are the other gods that they're talking about? But the word Elohim covers a lot of bases. Okay. And so part of the, and some of the basis it talks about is just any spiritual being, anything at all. Okay. So... But the gods in particular, when it says, don't have any other gods before me, right? Yeah. That's what we're talking about when you say, who are the gods? Yeah, I just want to break it down a little. Well, what do you think? I Basically, I want to know where you're, where you're going with all that. Well, I think I'm trying to rein us in and take us maybe to like Psalm... Uh, Psalm 82. 82, maybe oh, to Deuteronomy, right, 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 talking right. about oh, like oh, the divine, divine council, perhaps some of the yeah. uh, the authority over the nations. Okay, I see. What you you're know, saying. like the the Elohim that God gave authority to that then rebelled. Yeah. Okay, so mm-hmm. I I I don't know. Like on one sense, like I can't name these other gods, well, right? No, of course, um, but. So Psalm 82 says this. This is starting in verse 1. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you just unjudge, How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked and all that stuff? So what is God doing in the divine council? So in any divine council scene um, where we see heaven, where we see the throne room, there's a number of them. So Ezekiel 1 opens with it. Isaiah 6 opens with it. Uh, Revelation 4 and 5 is a divine council. That is what is called court. It's a courtroom scene. God is holding court. Hmm. And this is what kings do when they hold court. They make judgments. Yeah. So you think about you're, you're going to court today, you know, or you're going to traffic court. It's kind of the same idea. I mean, I'm not. No, you're not. Okay. No, 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 you're not. You're fine. You're a great driver. <laughs> you're not going to court. But it's the same idea of going to court. God is holding his court, so he's holding, he's making a judgment. Yes. And he's judging these divine beings that he's, um, remember how we said God is a democratizing being? Yeah. God shares his rule. Yes. Okay. He also does this over all the nations of the earth. And so if you go to, 
he's judging them because of their poor rule of the nations. Okay, so an oversight. So God creates man. He tells man rule over creation. Yes. And then there is this understanding somewhere when you mesh all these verses together that God also created spiritual beings, and at some point God gives these spiritual beings authority to rule over the nations. Yes, we parallel rule, tracks. Yeah, we are ruling land dwellers. Yep, and, <laughs> okay. and the earth, and the, and, the and the spiritual ocean dwellers and, and ocean the dwellers. Yeah. Okay, yeah, sure. Earth and I don't and know the creepy crawlers. Earth inhabitants. Yeah, and the spiritual beings are ruling over the nations. Yes, these these uh, divine council members. Yes. Okay. Okay, and where does that, on earth, does that idea come from? Because I know it might sound crazy to people, but it comes from Deuteronomy 32, verse 8. Yeah. It says, when the Most High, and there's so much more to this, guys. There's uh, chapters 10 and 11 of Genesis. There's just so much more, but Mm -hmm. for right now, we have to rein this podcast in a little bit. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, 8, when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the numbers of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. So God divides the nations. Mm -hmm. Okay. We know that this has happened. Yes. I know you didn't want to talk about Babel, but... I mean, he well, divides the nations at some point. True, but okay. I, I want to talk real quick. I don't want to leave this verse just yet. Because in some of your Bibles, you're going to see, according to the sons of man. Hmm. And when the, um, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found and studied, in every single one of them, it says, according to the sons of God. Yeah. So there is a textual variant here. Mm-hmm. Now... If you are to read scholars on this, and there's this huge debate about whether it's the sons of God, sons of man, it is far more biblically coherent with the entire rest of the Bible and with what's even happening in Deuteronomy 32 to say, according to the number of sons of Elohim, especially when you go to, and I know you want to go back to Babel, but I want to go forward. No, I, I wasn't. I wasn't trying to go back to Babel. I was just trying to say at some point in reference to this verse, 32, 8, yeah. God gave the nations their inheritance, right? Yeah. Um, he set the boundaries for the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Okay, right. so so sons of God are ruling over the nations when the nations have been Mm-hmm. have been divided. That's all I was saying. Yes. And there are these spiritual, these divine council members mm-hmm. that are ruling over the nations. And it is their job to point land dwellers, us human beings, to God. Yes. Okay, but then, then in Psalm, in Psalm 82, it talks mm-hmm. about how that's, they're just not, doing their job. Yeah, God is judging them. He's holding yeah. court and he's mm-hmm. judging the divine council. Be- and, and I'm sure there's some that are, did their job just fine and some that are Well, sure, because he is really messing up. He is among among other divine council mm-hmm. members and they're judging the uh maybe perhaps fallen uh divine council members that are doing, you know, what what uh they have always done, which is trying to create people to worship them. Yeah. And and so, you know, you might ask the question, I told you I want to go forward, and where I want to go forward with this is in the book of Daniel, chapter 10. Ah. So, you you know, where did these ideas come from, 
really. Yeah. And th- yeah. this even goes into judging angels to what Paul says in First Corinthians. Um, so Daniel's standing on the banks of the river and all this. He's praying and all that stuff. And and uh, there's this divine being that comes up in, in uh, Daniel chapter 10 and mm-hmm. comes and talks to Daniel. And it says uh, in verse 13, this divine being says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia, and then and came and made you understand what is happening to your people in the latter days, for this vision is for the days yet to come. And so we know that these people that are being talked about here are um, essentially... Uh, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, who's that? And you, it's sort of like this, the divine beings that are over these nations, Yeah. right? Yeah. That's that's what they're talking about here. Now, it's not immediately obvious because prince could also be used as a human term, but when you begin digging into the wording of it, we know that Michael is an archangel of God. Yeah. And so, and he was held up by one of these rebellious Elohims, apparently. Apparently. Right? Yeah. And so there's Daniel has this idea, and he's not just making this up. This comes from his Deuteronomy 32 worldview. Okay. okay. I don't know if we're where we're at now. You have to rein me in. Oh, it's I'm hard. Lost. Yeah. yeah, it's real hard. <laughs> okay, so we have we have divine council members that are ruling over nations that have have stopped doing what God designed them to do. Mm-hmm. which is to lead people justly and to fight for the oppressed, right? Yeah. They've stopped doing that. They've they've caused wickedness, okay? And then God is is judging them and that is what he's doing in Psalm 82, mm-hmm. okay? And so now we have this like presence of of gods, okay, that are seeking worship and we see that throughout the entire Bible. Yeah. Okay. And so do you think that when the Bible's talking about other gods, like specifically in Exodus mm-hmm. um, or in Egypt, in like ancient Egyptian times, that these people are worshiping these divine fallen uh, council members? Yeah, I do. Okay. I do. And, and I think that that, it, for me, is a very, actually a very tidy explanation, and I like it. Um for what's happening all around the world. And like I mentioned in my sermon on Sunday, it's not just Egypt. It's like, you know, um, you look at all these cultures around the world. Yeah. You go to Thailand, you see these cave mm-hmm. drawings. You, mm-hmm. you go to um, places in Latin America and you see these drawings. It's like, why do they all have a serpentine figure? You know, why do they all have... Uh, that that originated their creation. The Babylonian creation myth is a serpentine figure whose belly was uh, cut open, um, you know, and that created the universe. Like, why is it? Oh, and in China, there's serpentine myths uh, about the creation everywhere around mm-hmm, the world. Mm-hmm. Why is there a universal creation myth around the world that involves a serpentine figure? The reason why I bring that up is because I do think it is these... Um, Elohim, who are, uh, like if you were to take the Deuteronomy 32 worldview, this, these Elohim who are essentially uh, trying to get worship of their own. Right. Trying to rewrite the origin story. Yeah, and they were the ones that were supposed to point the nations to God, but instead they pointed the nations to themselves. And Correct. then they wanted worship. I Correct. mean, because these 
spiritual, these gods have power. Yeah. I mean, if there was no power, there'd be no worship. Right. Well, and exactly. And the the whole idea is they're trying to steal the glory from Yahweh. Yeah. They're trying to steal it from the Lord. And again, this all ties back in with spiritual warfare that as we lead people to Jesus and show them that he is the son of God and lead them to worship Jesus, then we are taking ground against the enemy. Yeah. And so these, you know, you've got all of these different, these different things that we've talked about. We've talked about these yeah. uh, demons, right? Disembodied mm-hmm. dead Nephilim. Yep. We've talked <laughs> about the <laughs> these uh, fallen uh, divine council members mm-hmm. that are supposed to be leading the nations, which are still roaming. Is this the correct understanding of the of the reader? I believe so, yes. Okay, and so they perhaps don't look the same that they looked in the Old Testament, but they are still fighting for our allegiance. Yes. And we're giving it to them. <laughs> well, if you're not <laughs> well, giving no, you, your allegiance yeah, to Jesus, right. then I think that they're either fine with that Okay. Um, because then you're just out of the game. Well, yeah, they've they've won that battle. Yeah, they've won yeah. that battle. Um, and I think they want to be concealed. You know, they want to make it sound like I think secularism is this is giant. Um, they 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 want to be concealed by all this. You know, they, secularism is this giant camouflage for them. They'd be like, oh, no, this doesn't really exist. This Ooh, is ridiculous. Do they? Because, I mean, they I don't still know they come think. out. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, no, just be like, oh, this is all just, like I like I talked about on Sunday, if you were to read, um, and I did read it for people, the uh, Satanic Temple's oh, yeah. kind of like it's deal. Yeah, it's like, yeah, this is all, uh, this is all, I have it right here. It's a non-theistic organization, and we use satanic imagery and humor for legal tactics you know we want to stop church and state we want to uh you know we want to focus on reproductive rights of course they want to you know kill the image of image of god right they they want to stop images of god and so they want to focus on reproductive rights um let's say it does not believe in a supernatural satan that's that's one of their tenets that they say, but uses the idea of Satan and public's reaction to the concept as a metaphorical or, satir- or satirical tool to challenge religious authority. They want to challenge me and advocate against what its views what it views as injustice. Okay. So they they love secularism. It's secularism is what says, look at what religion has got us in the world. Look at all these wars, these wars that we've had. It's all because of uh, religions, all these world wars. Well, I don't know. The the most killing country on earth, is that a phrase that you could use? Sure. The The most brutal nation on earth was the USSR, and it killed far more people than the Holocaust, although the Holocaust was evil. Hitler was no Christian. He used the illusion of Christianity, but he was way deep into the occult, Mm -hmm. killed six million Jews. Um, And probably Stalin, one of the worst atrocities you could ever do. I mean, these were not religious people. These These were atheists. The atrocities of the world came through atheists. And, you know, they, they want to say, oh, look at all these wars in the name of Jesus. It's like, no, I mean, get your history right, bud. That is not true. 
It is not true. Crusades, maybe, but um, but not not World War Two. Ooh, the kids and I are studying the Crusades. Are you? Yeah, I'm not going to go into that. Yeah, but it's quite we're, interesting. We're down on the rabbit. We're holes. down a rabbit hole. Okay. So where do we go from here? Lead me home, sweetie. Okay, I I think that let's put a bow on this. Oh, don't you think? Okay. Is there anything else that we didn't cover? Okay. I think I know where we could put the bow. Okay. In the water. Okay. Okay. So. In the water. Yes. Put the bow in the water. I don't know what you're talking about. Neither do I. I mean, I know what I'm talking about, but. Okay. Okay. Don't don't think too much about it. Okay. I'm, I'm taking you there. <laughs> okay. okay. There, um, baptism. Oh. Baptism. Okay. There so we, we have we have this awareness of this fallen world and this continual desire for our hearts and minds to be pulled towards or away from the Lord and being image bearers of mm-hmm. him and being um, basically, yeah, having his power and authority to rule the earth as it we were designed to do. And so what do we do about it? How do we live in the reality that there are Dead Nephilim among us. <laughs> <laughs> it's such like sounds like such a wild thing to say. You know what that, I mean? Yeah, yeah. That there are literal gods fighting for our souls. Yeah. And by the way, that's what the book of Revelation does. It kind of pulls back the curtain to the unseen realm. Yeah. Um I mean trying their hardest to can to stop the advancement of the kingdom because until the kingdom has uh, i don't know how to word it but but basically fully come fully come yeah. then then jesus will not come so so they're just basically like these chaos monsters yeah until okay. uh, until everyone hears like in, uh-huh. is that that's what you're going for sure until so the they're trying spread. to create the chaos to advance their kingdom to stop the return of Christ. Yes. Okay. And so as long as they are able to accomplish this task, then they get to roam freely among among us. Yes. So now what do we do about it? We know that they're here. We know that there's something, there's a literal battle, okay, a war for us. Mm-hmm. And so we are an army. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. And how do we rise up and fight well, against these things. You share the gospel. You share the gospel. I mean, you you have to, one, be confronted with the gospel, that there's this new kingdom. Mm-hmm. And uh, in this spreading of the gospel, if, if we were to read Matthew 28, he says, go make disciples. And then he says- Of all men. Yeah. And then he says, baptizing them. Right. Hey, I'm sorry. He doesn't say all men. He says of disciples. all nations. Of all nations. And that should ring a little bit different ah, to you yeah. when you understand Deuteronomy 32. And the word is actually ethnos in okay. the Greek there, uh, okay. to be fair. But um, but if you have a Deuteronomy 32 understanding that God has his divine counsel kind of like ruling over the different the parts of the world and yeah. all that stuff, it's like our job as humans, to uh, as image bearers of Christ, to go into the world and to uh, help people know who they are called to be in Jesus. Help people to know that they are the, they have the image of God buried within them just dying to come out. Okay, so go into all the nations. Yeah. And, and then, then what do you do? 
And then it says to, to disciple them, to teach them. So she says, teach them everything I've taught you. So go, just take the Sermon on the Mount, teach that. Uh-huh. And then it says baptizing them. Right. Yeah. In the name of the Father, the Son, In the name and the of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah. And what Peter had to say about baptism is probably what you were thinking about here. Mm-hmm. Um, when it says that Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, in First Peter three eighteen through twenty two, what Jesus is doing to those spirits in prison is saying, "Hey, I died, but I'm not staying down here. This yeah. is, this can't contain me." He I've took won. the keys from out. He, he took yeah. them back. Yeah, he, he took, took the keys. Back. Yeah, he took the keys, and that's that's Revelation one eighteen that Jesus now holds the keys of Hades and all that stuff. So he he goes and takes the keys and says, "I'm in charge. I'm in power. You're never you're never going to win. Your days are numbered." Yeah. You know, you're not getting out of here. Yeah. That's what he tells them. And then Peter says this. Um, God's patience. He talks about Noah. He talks about all this. And Noah is commonly in the church an idea of baptism. It's a, it's a, it's a typology of baptism. So when we get to the New Testament, you could reach back to Noah and say, yeah, just as Noah went through the waters of chaos, of tohu vavohu, of death, um, and came out into uh, and, and was saved by the land and the dove and all that stuff. Just as Noah went through the waters, you should go through the waters too. Um, and he says baptism, which was which corresponds to this, corresponds to Noah, by the way, and mm-hmm. Jesus going to the realm of the dead. Now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven. And is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, powers having been subjected to him. Now, to dive a little deeper into soteriology, we in, the, in our church do not necessarily believe that you're that anybody who just goes and gets dunked in the water is saved. Of course. There is a proclamation of allegiance to Jesus that needs to happen there, right? And so the idea, though, is that your baptism is you dying to your old self and raising up again in your new self. And you're defeating death. You're going down. You're going down. You're going down. You're saying, I am not part of your kingdom. Just as Jesus proclaimed to them, you're not going to win. In your life, when you get baptized and you get dunked, you're saying, you are not going to have the last word in my life. And then you're rising up. And you're rising up again. Yes. Okay. And just to walk with Jesus and to say, Jesus has the primary place in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So our baptism is uh, symbolic of our of our death on the cross and resurrection. Like, okay, I mean, I just well, made not our, Jesus. but of okay, our I'm acceptance sorry, of Jesus' death. Our acceptance yeah. of Jesus' death. Of being crucified, well, well, we could use Paul's phrase, of being crucified, crucified with Christ. Crucified with Christ. Yes. That's what I'm, that's what yeah, I'm going we'll for. We'll use Paul's you. phrase. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's like we are saying, we are claiming allegiance yes. to the kingdom of God. Yes, yes. And I think that that is so important. And I, and I do want to say this. I, I literally just thought about this. Um, for so many years as a pastor, I've had people go, and I've not been able to give a coherent answer to people go, what do you think about Genesis 6? Who, who are the Nephilim? What is going on there? And, and I was just like, oh, I'm fumbling over myself trying to answer this. But I am so glad personally to have done this study because it, it, you know, it just goes to show you, I've been a pastor for 20 years, and in the last five years I've been digging into this, and in the last year I've really gotten it. 
the Bible just has deep, thick layers, and you could just keep digging, keep I know. digging and digging and digging. Yeah. Don't you wonder, like, what else? What else am I missing? What will so you discover? So much more. Yeah. Every time I study the Bible, every time I go deeper into something, it is like, you really just don't get it. There's so much you don't understand. There's so much more. And one day we'll be with God and, and the scriptures say, we'll, we'll just know, right? And we'll see in, in, like in a clean mirror. Right now we see in that, that diminished mirror, but we're going to see in a clean, nice mirror in a very crisp way. But I'm so glad I did this because it gives me so much more purpose to mm. understand that my job, my job is to lead an army of people that are taking ground against the enemy. Hmm. And that's why this is important in, in my own purpose. And your purpose, if you're listening to this, is to take ground against the enemy. And probably, maybe you're called to take ground, uh, to lead others in taking ground against the enemy. You might be called into some sort of pastoral leadership. It might not be a church, but maybe it is you know, in your business place or just in a small group or something like that. You are leading people to take ground against the evil one. That is incredible. And being aware that there's a battle and that we have to be careful because it's really difficult in this fallen world to not put our allegiance in other things. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And so like staying on guard, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think if we were to close with people hmm. here, I, I just, I know there's a ton here today and we've gone really long, but what I want to encourage you to do is don't just take our word for it. Pray on this. Start praying about it. Ask the Lord what, what he would have to say about it. And I want to encourage you to check out some of those resources we've talked about, whether it's the Bible Project, their series on, on um, understanding the nature of God, whether it is um, Heiser's podcast, The Naked Bible, whether it is just going buying a bunch of Heiser books and reading them and seeing what, what it has to say. It, it is like seeing the Bible again with for the first time with a fresh set of eyes. It is really incredible. Um, but then to see that there's just, you're part of this battle. You're part of this, and you need to, to get in the game, you know? And, um, and also, I think part of this, too, there's a lot of fear around Jesus coming back. Hmm. But in our, in this <gasps> theology, in this, the fear is all on the part of the demons. The fear should all be on the part of evil, and not at all for us. Jesus returning should be a joyful thing. It's the restoration of all things. It should not be loaded with fear, but with joyful anticipation, because there will be a day when moat will be destroyed. <laughs> we'll be no more. We'll be no more finally, and every tear will be wiped from our eyes. And that's a good, beautiful, and wonderful thing. And we get to partner with God to bring his kingdom to other people. In the restoration of all things. The restoration including of people. all things. Yeah. And so as long as we are here until Christ returns, we have a job. Yes. And we can't just be like, the world's falling apart. Yes. I'm thrown in the towel. Mm -hmm. Come, Lord, come now. Mm -hmm. But like. I think it's important to pray, come, Lord, come. Well, no, but no. You know what I mean. Course. Yeah. And yeah. what I'm saying is. It's literally the last words of the Bible. Of come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. <laughs> yeah. Right. I just mean we. We don't want to throw in the towel. Like, we are still on the battlefield. Yes. And Amen. So we've got to still fight for yep. mm -hmm. or against the powers of evil. 
Well, I hope we unconfused you today. I don't think that's possible. I don't I think, think it's possible. <laughs> yeah. But this is fertile ground for, for far, far, far more study. And so as we go into, Re- as you yeah. go into Revelation, yeah, yeah. the goal of this sermon was not to confuse people. Yeah, right. And not to just like speak about we are dead disembodied spirits. Right, okay. right, correct. <laughs> okay. But to say this, this sort of reality is the supernatural yeah the supernatural worldview is really the way to understand the bible it is not by taking a secular worldview that is so much newer with enlightenment it's just a few hundred years old really a thousand years old whatever and and superimposing that over the bible that's not helpful no it's not helpful to understand scriptures yeah yeah it's like you can't take something that we just invented it's like Oh, like, you know, read the Bible in light of the iPhone. Like, what? No, yeah, this doesn't make any <laughs> sense. That's 2006 that thing came out, you know? So, um, so yeah, we, we have to read the Bible in the way that the first readers of the Bible read. And if anything, for the Revelation series, hopefully what I did is I put a first century, a little first century Jewish person in the back of your head. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the way that you will continue through the Revelation series, I'm assuming, is not reading it through the lens of the current day, but rather through. Yes. And we're going to do theology based on what we know, not on what we could speculate. Yeah. Okay. And that should be a fun little teaser for everybody there. Absolutely. We better wrap this up. Okay. We hope that you have a great day. Thank you for bearing. I mean, if you made it to the end of this, congratulations. (laughs) Thank you for bearing with us. And uh, we'll see you every Sunday at 10 at River's Edge Church. And you could join us online too at recsac.org. We hope you have a good one. And that you go in the purpose that you were designed for and that you help share the gospel with others and take ground for God's kingdom. With power with and power authority. and authority because he's given it to you. Have Amen. a good day. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that God has touched your heart through today's message. Please leave us a review and share with your friends. For more information about the ministries of REC, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. See the links in the description.